Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure to check out the show notes for more details on today's topics and information about my online class, Dental Insurance Design and Management. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. And we are back with another edition of Nobody Told Me That. And my good friend, return guest, Brian Laskin is here. What's up, Brian? Oh, not much. How are you doing, my friend? You know, just it's it's coming towards the end of the year and I am just ready for a new year. And I don't like saying that because normally I don't like to speed time up. But to be honest, like things are happening so much in dentistry. And I know we're going to get into that with you. Like, I just don't know what's around the corner now. From the payer side, things are crazy. From the mergers and acquisition side, things are crazy. And from the tech side, you've you've been watching things go crazy for a while, right? What's going on on the tech side overall, like big picture? Well, big picture. So I couldn't agree with you more. I think that there's a lot going on. And every time I think that the rate of change is, needs to slow down, it just ramps up even faster, right? <laughs> yeah, and when it comes yeah. to technology, I think we're at a liminal point in time where I hear this many times, people talking about an inflection point and how I classify it is that if you think about where we've come from as an industry, I like to call this moment in time where we're at the very, 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 very beginning of, uh, if you think of like dial up, you know, the wee like of uh, <laughs> like modem dating myself sure. here, but like of internet, like we're at the very beginning of a new phase that I think is going to unlock the biggest wave of innovation and elevation of quality of care in dentistry that I call dentistry 3.0. And so if dentistry 1.0, was high-speed handpieces and forehanded delivery of care of dentistry, you know, having a office the way it looks pretty much today, right? Right, right. That was analog. Then we moved to digital, dentistry 2.0. And that's where we're at these sort of like, and keep in mind that these don't stop, right? There's still going to be innovation in high-speed handpieces, you know, electric handpieces, I would say is dentistry 1.0, right? Mm, so sure. be the reimagining of a what a dental practice looks like. That's dentistry, it's analog. Still innovation going on, just not at the velocity as when we move to a new phase, like what happened when CAD CAM first came on and you know, mm -hmm. practice management softwares and taking a piece of paper and putting it in the cloud. And that's all digital. So we went from dentistry 1.0 to dentistry 2.0. And now we're at the tail end of dentistry 2.0. And like what I would say, the well-known AI companies in dentistry, 3D printing, that is still dentistry 2.0. So what dentistry 3.0 is, is connected dentistry, remote care, medical dental integration, interoperability, which is where I spend most of my time, you know, having patient empowerment because patients are more included into the conversation because uh, we're connected. They're more connected to the records. So that's where I think big picture we as an industry are going is from just like we went from analog to digital. We're now going from mm -hmm. digital to interconnected. So when in your first book, um, I think it was your first book, Patient First Manifesto. Was that your first book? 
That's my first book. It was? Yeah. Okay. All right. And so in that book, it was really all about like, how do we make things so much easier and better for the patient and, and how technology can solve that problem. And you have a new book out, which I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to get my hands on it. And listeners, I told him, do not send me a free copy because I think it's worth it to go and get my own copy. You pay for shipping and then you get all these bonuses. And I was like, Brian, I need the bonuses. So I'm going to do that. And I will put the link in the show notes for you all to do that as well. But this new book is, it's a little bit different because you are going to, you're basically saying there's some disorder and you called it dental disorder, but I'm wondering if some people saw the name of that and was like, what do you mean dental disorder? Like dental disease, dental what? Like, so when you say dental disorder, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Yeah. So you're right. I mean, I think I look at my first book, the patient first manifesto as how my practice was designed, right? How we, how we leverage technology to grow the practice. Now, I've also grown a couple of technology companies and had some success there. And what I've found, because I've been in several different aspects of the industry, I uncovered what I think to be the biggest problem in dentistry that nobody wants to admit is a problem. And that is the issue of data accessibility. The fact that the electronic dental record, A, doesn't exist today. It's a bunch of elements that is housed in different aspects of your different systems that don't communicate to each other. Mm-hmm. And then if it did exist, right, that's legally owned by the patient and dental practice are the stewards of that data, but today neither one has access to it. And we just go about our business every day pretending like it doesn't matter. However, it dramatically, dramatically hinders our quality of care. It chokes our production. It chokes innovation in the space. And so that's why I call it dental disorders, because I feel like in our transition from analog to digital, We've been ignoring the fact that these digital systems should connect to each other. And sometimes unknowingly and sometimes knowingly, there have been barriers put in place by corporations to block this, right? And so what makes dental disorder sort of a, was a very strange book to write. Because in the very beginning of the book, I talk about how I hope that this book is outdated as soon as possible right? Because I'm describing a problem that we're trying to solve. So once the problem is solved and the disorder is removed and we've unlocked the innovation. However, I do think it's important because this is not a straightforward, simple solution. It requires a few different aspects that I describe in the book. I describe the remedies Mm -hmm. and that's actively what I've been involved in for the last two and a half years trying to solve. And now, you know, even six months ago, nobody talked about interoperability in dentistry. The last meeting I went to, every single speaker talked about it being at the forefront of dentistry right now. And hopefully that's based on some of the stuff, not hopefully, but I think that we've had some influence with this, right? But just highlighting it as a problem, recognizing what I try to do in the book is discuss all of the things that could happen if these barriers were removed, describe all the problems that are in place because there exists today, and then how do we cross the chasm? It's interesting how this problem came about. So just want to break it down because some some of the people who listen to this podcast, you know, they're brand new to dentistry and they're like, what are they talking about? So when all of this technology started happening, Dentistry 2.0, what you had was a ton of companies creating their own software programs, parameters, guardrails around it. So really silo creation, right? There was no like effort to 
share standards, to share languages and all of that. And so you had, you know, companies like, I mean, I'll just say it. You had, you had Shine and Patterson coming up with their own standards and ways of communicating between their own programs, but really no interest in going between other programs. Well, now we have this environment where we really need to be able to share this information because as you said, it's not their information. It's not our information. It's the patient information, but it's so incredibly hard to gather it all from so many different sources. And so when you say interoperability was a focus, is it because it's a focus from people in the dental world that are talking about it? Or is it outside dentistry? Or more specifically, is it companies and corporations that are pushing this conversation? Because I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like the regular dentist, you know, my my boss included, has his own practice. He's not pushing for interoperability because it's not a priority. So where's the push coming from? Well, just bluntly, I think I'm probably the biggest pusher here, right? I, I, you know, and, but in, in dentistry. However, I should say the federal government has created some regulation, which, mm-hmm. which makes the blocking of information, it's called information blocking, illegal, right? Uh, so each incidence of locking information to electronic dental record that is knowingly done or even unknowingly done, right? Has a single single incidence. If you say, I need access to my dental record, and the answer is no from a dentist, from a dental practice, from a software vendor, or even from the patient, there's a fine of up to a million dollars, right? So we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars of fines that are coming to some companies down the path if they don't jump on board. It's called the 21st Century Cures Act, right? And the reason why the 21st Century Cures Act kind of came along is sort of in response to HIPAA, right? And we're going, we're talking about regulations and I know it's just the sexiest topic of the world, right? But if I don't know, Brian, I think it's super sexy, but go well, ahead. Cool. <laughs> well, if, if HIPAA is about privacy and security, like we're locking data, making it safe, which is crucial. It's frankly, as we've talked about previously, largely ignored in dentistry, unfortunately, although I think it's changing a bit, right? But. HIPAA makes everything a bigger pain in the butt, right? Cause you, you've got, cause it locks this data so that's hard to get access to it. So, and this has been happening on the medical side too. So the 21st Century Cures Act came along and said, Hey, actually physicians and software vendors to be able to provide the best quality of care need have to have access to this protected information. Of course, in a secure private way. And so if HIPAA is about privacy and security primarily, the Cures Act is about data accessibility. And in dentistry, what's happened is the companies that you mentioned and others, like most, mm-hmm. have made their business plan out of protecting this information and then charging people access to it, right? Mm-hmm. So when they look at the Cures Act, the first thing they think of is, well, that attacks my business plan, right? Sure. A, they have to look at the federal regulation and actually understand it, which in my experience, every company you've described, I've and talking with them and educating them about the federal regulation because they just don't understand it, right? Because the attorneys look to the compliance people, the compliance people look at the attorneys, and nobody actually digs in to understand what is this regulation. That's my experience. It's my opinion. Mm -hmm. Is it true? I don't know. I'm a pretty educated guy here, but I can't say that I'm 100% right there, right? Then if they do, who's going to raise their hand and say, hey, we're a publicly traded company. That's our business plan is basically charging access to this data, which we don't own, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you raised your hand and yes. said that, you'd probably be fired if you're in a large right. corporation. So <laughs> they don't speak up, 
right? So you need to be kind of a jerk like me and write a 210 page book about the problem and be <laughs> somebody signaling an alarm to the industry to say, Hey, everybody isn't yeah. your data, right? It's the patients. Yeah. And by the way, let's create some standards around this. Let's create a easy way for patients to get access to the data, an easy way for mm -hmm. dentists to get access to their data and communication, create the waterways between these land silos, like you called them. I call them yeah. data prisons, right? And then also <laughs> say, and then point out to these data prisons, hey, if you can join the party or if not, I can introduce to my friends at the ONC and the FTC and they'll educate you about it and they'll probably be a hefty yeah. fine along with that. And I think that definitely has to change. I mean, it, for financial reasons, if anything, but honestly, the way the industry is going, you have so many third-party apps that are wanting access to that data and it's not owned by the software, like you said, right? And so they're coming up with all these workarounds. And I know this is a sort of different topic, but you've got a lot of what they call hacking, but I call it ingenious access to the data. And I, I don't even, maybe it is hacking, but quite frankly, it's, it's almost like they made it that way. They made it so that these companies, the only way they could operate, because you're, they're not filling the need that the offices have and other companies are. And you can't just acquire the companies that are filling that need. You just can't do that. There's too many of them now. I mean, to your point, all this technology, all these tech companies are looking at dentistry and salivating. Like we're right for the picking, right? For all the services and everything. So they have to open up these data prisons. I think they have to. I don't think there's any choice in the matter in the future. Well, they're, fed they're federally mandated to, right? And what we're trying to yeah, do that is, yeah. what we're trying to do at Tooth Apps is create a moral, ethical, legal way to comply, right? Versus what mm -hmm. you're saying, you're, you're right that there's other companies that have, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna use the word exploited, the, the opportunity, right? Now, I don't yeah. say that negatively, yeah. even though it sounds negative. Some are exploiting it negatively. Some are just basically creating a way to solve this problem of dentists not having access to their data. And, you know, this, mm -hmm. you mentioned like, how does this hit the actual dentist, right? It's happening all the time right now. And here's how this problem trickles down to the dentist. One, if you want to switch software event companies, right? People are afraid to because they don't have access to do it. Yeah. So they there's this yeah. data conversion BS that should not be a thing, okay? That's one problem. Two, the first question you have to ask is, does this integrate with whatever I use? Because that should be a thing of the past. Everything, mm -hmm. should there's an industry standard as of next month that will make everything work together. Period. There's no, there's no this integration BS. And then this company deciding, well, you can write back to the ledger, but not to the notes and all this crap that doesn't oh, make sense. So right. Frustrating. That's got to yeah, go so away. But then also if your patient comes to your practice and says, Hey, Dr. Johnson, I'd like my dental records. Right. Yes. I talked to the Minnesota Dental Association. I've talked to a lot of different organizations. They're getting calls from dental patients all the time, every single day, multiple times saying, I can't get my records. And it's not the dentist's fault because if you wanted to give a consolidated dental record to a patient today, how would you? You oh, can't. I'd have to download it from a million different sources. I'd have to, which program do I use for this? Which program do I use for this? And then, you know, unless you have a checklist, you're going to forget something, right? And it's going to be delivered in a packet, probably a format that the patient's going to be like, well, I don't even know how to open this program. There's no program to open this. <laughs> Yeah. And the, what I would say is you would not be able to comply with the federal regulation on time and completeness, right? Cause you said mm -hmm. to download the information, half this 
information you can't even download if you wanted to, right? So by the end of this year, we're going to have a solution for a patient application where patients can get access to their own data, regardless of the source, right? And the industry standard for that piece too. But there's actually a website on the ONC's website. There's an anonymous page where patients can go and report their dentist for not giving them complete access to information. They can do it anonymously and Right now, the fines are between fifteen and $80,000 when a patient does that. So mm. that's what's happening today. So if you're a dental patient, you have patients that request their records, you are at risk today of paying fines for things outside of your control. The regulation says that it has to have like, if it's not accessible with the software. So there is some like ways that I think you could position yourself out of that. However, Nobody that I've heard of, everybody was just paying the fines today because they don't understand the regulation. They get a, a letter from the ONC saying that they didn't comply. So they just pay it between it's, you know, it's around thirty, forty thousand $40,000 per patient complaint. And it's probably not covered by any insurance, right? Like any business insurance? Probably not. It's uh, a good I question. I, would, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, would I would probably turn around not. and ask you that question. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't know that stuff. I have lawyers that I talk to on a regular basis. It sounds like I need to send an email on that. But I will say that, you know, living in the DC area, many of our patients were lawyers or at least knew the legal system. Some people worked, you know, and had worked on HIPAA and worked on all of that. And so I remember when we rolled out the HIPAA forms, we had patients that were like, uh, no, this is not the right one. And we were schooled by them. I mean, we finally got it right, but my goodness. So I would be terrified if in our area, I mean, our patients probably going to be reporting left and right if somebody says, oh, by the way, because all it takes is, you know, that kind of stuff to get out on a forum for crying out loud well, and you are well, done for. What I would say is if anybody has that happen to them, contact me because I because I do know okay. quite a bit about this. Right. So I'll extend that. And yeah. and because I think that right now there is no way to comply in dentistry if you're if you're dental practice, you just can't. It's it's impossible. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to yeah. solve we're trying to solve that problem by the end of this year. Well, we will solve this problem by the end of this year. But, but, uh, but right now today, if there's no way for you, there's, it's impossible to give you your patient, their entire dental record. Wow. Um, well, talk to me about, cause I know you're working on a standard, but I don't want to go too deep into it because if people weren't turned on by the sexy talk earlier, they're really going to be asleep for the standard stuff. <laughs> I think only like true standards geeks like you and me, and you're, you're definitely like, like King geek on this. I love it. I love how passionate you are. You're saying standard, you're saying a rule in place, just real quick. What is it that you're doing for dentistry? Cause I think it's amazing that you have driven this pretty much the whole way. Well, so both with the American Dental Association Standard Committee and then also a standard development committee that I helped organize called Dental Standards Institute. We're creating multiple standards. And it's important. Let's talk a little bit about what that means. All that really means is that there's, mm -hmm. there's, there's an overseeing body called ANSI, the American National Standards Institute, right? Which basically says that there's a standard development organization. You have to play by some rules, which means you're open. Anybody can comment and like it's transparent and you, you need, you know, collaboration with the industry because if we're talking about an ANSI standard, there can only be one standard for an industry, right? They're all voluntary. Mm -hmm. So you don't need to follow the standard. But if you can think of like, like what's going on right now with, I just bought a new phone, uh, a new iPhone, right? And my, my iPhone has a USB-C connection because in Europe they said, this is annoying having multiple connections. So we're going to force yes. Apple to convert from their lightning connector to a USB-C. The same thing is going on in the 
EV market with cars, everybody's switching over mm-hmm. to the Tesla charger, the NCAS charger, right? Why? Because if you have multiple uh, ways of doing something, it makes the quality worse. It makes it it's onerous on the end user, right? So what we're doing is mm-hmm. we're aligning the industry in ways like having a USB-C plug so there's not 50 different dongles, right? We're creating the standards right. for how information flows, both within dentistry, how we connect dentistry to medicine, which is a whole other talk show, right? Mm-hmm. And then what we're currently working mm-hmm. on right now is how patients get access to their data, how they permission that to the people, and all the sort of complicated questions. We're creating those guidelines so that it's not these rogue people, I can't remember, like, like cracking in and hacking in, because that frankly is has a whole nother host of separate problems, right? So let's agree around some standards of how we do things and implement those. So we're doing both. The reason why this has been difficult to do in the past is that there's different people writing the standards than who are actually implementing the the engines that make them work. You know, somebody had to create the USB-C and then put it in their phones, right? Tesla had to create that charger and put it in their cars. What we're doing is we're creating the standard while we're also developing the pipelines to have this communication work. So I guess a similar situation that my listeners could probably understand really, really quickly um, if they needed to re like talk about this with somebody else. The the example that, that always comes to mind is the standardized EOB. I mean, every insurance carrier has come up with their own EOB. They don't look alike. They look similar, but they don't look alike and similar elements. And then if we had one standardized EOB, it would be so much easier on the end user, which would be the patients and us, the offices, the provider's office. And so that's the holy grail standard I'm chasing. And it's hard because there's a lot of, you know, players in that space, as you know, too. But just creating a standards in general, it's you've been tenacious about this. This has been something you've been working on for years. I mean, I think when you and I first started having our little, you know, tech talks, you know, at the side on the show floors and stuff like that, that was way back then you were really looking at creating a standard. So I just have to say congratulations for, I mean, you really have, you're closing the loop on it, which is amazing. Really amazing. Well, yeah, I think tenacious is probably the right word. I just, I can't, I can't let something <laughs> go. If there's a, if, you know, if there's an inefficiency or a problem, I get hyper vigilant about it. And, uh, yeah, I agree with the EOBs. You know, you, I can go down the list. Like, why is it that every orthodontist has their own separate unique snowflake referral form? I mean, like, you know, why is every laboratory, like if I'm ordering a crown, I've got to read through this laboratory's version yeah. of what a, what they believe a crown looks like in, you know, the year 2023. I mean, like, it just makes none of this makes sense to, and all it does is create more opportunities for miscommunication, more opportunities for for their, you know, and so what do we end up doing? We end up, when we refer somebody to an endodontist, we circle a tooth and if at best send a, send a printout of a, of a PA that probably doesn't show the apex of the tooth. Right. So (laughs) these you know, it's easy to talk about these standards or aligning the profession as being superfluous, right? But they're fundamental to delivering mm-hmm. care. And when I talk to like large groups about this, I say, how do we create revenue in a dental practice, right? We create revenue by doing treatment, in particular, treatment that it works, right? How do we create treatment that works? Well, we come up with an accurate diagnosis, right? 
Well, to come to an accurate diagnosis, we need to have the information by which to derive that diagnosis. Otherwise, we have a misdiagnosis. And that is happening in every practice every single day. I mean, maybe if you saw one patient yesterday, no, but in the average dental practice, every single day, you're having a misdiagnosis, poor outcome with your treatment, and loss of revenue because, yeah. and by the way, a patient on the other end that's been unnecessarily irradiated, <laughs> had a root canal that should have been an implant, you know, you can go down the list, right? So that these, mm -hmm. the lack of alignment here has real world implications to patients, to practices, to everywhere in the dental exchange. So it really does seem though, like we're, I don't want to say we're fear mongering because I don't think that's the right word, but it's very scary. Some of the stuff that we're talking about right now, that it could really like, when you say to a doctor, you're misdiagnosing, it could be very easy to take that personally. But if you think about it, let's talk about the silo thing again, you're not, you're not pulling in the complete medical history of that patient. You're treating them at a moment in time without really a whole list of other things. It's, it is very siloed in a way, but what if you had access to their medical? What if their record was flagged for you because they just were diagnosed with diabetes and they had maybe brought that up to you. And I don't, I don't love the fact that we might be going full medical dental integration. There's a lot of selfish reasons for that. I just don't want to learn new billing, but that's, <laughs> but we're going there. We're going there. I just don't want to learn it, honestly. So dinosaur Teresa comes out every now and then, but I do think what you're saying is accurate, but it could be offensive to some doctors. I mean, and I know what you're thinking. Well, they got to, they got to get with it. That's probably what you're well, thinking. Well, <laughs> no, I, 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 I hear your point and you're exactly right. I mean, I, I look, I'm a dentist. I'm sure I've made many misdiagnoses in my career due to this issue, but it's mm -hmm. not your fault, mm -hmm. right? It's a fault yeah, of the sure. system because you don't have the accurate information. Right? I'm not saying that you right. came to a wrong conclusion, but there was a differential diagnosis of which you probably chose an incorrect one at some point in time because you just didn't have the information you needed. For example, if you have a new patient to your practice and they have an abscess around an endo that's failing, right? What do you do? I mean, you basically today roll the dice. Do you ever call the dentist, the prior dentist? Because maybe the patient does know, maybe they don't. And you say, hey, who actually did this root canal? Oh, it was the endodontist. Okay, well, I'll call the endodontist. Then you call the endodontist and say, oh, what's the history of this tooth number 19 with endo? Oh, let me go check the records, right? So they go and they check the records and they, I've never done that once in my career, right? What I do oh, is yeah. I say, oh, I don't know what's going on. I'll refer them to the endodontist because for some reason, the endodontist, well, they're a specialist, so they'll make the right call, right? The patient goes to the endodontist. Mm -hmm. They don't have any more information than you, but they're an endodontist. So they're like, hey, guess what? I'll redo the endo. They open the tooth. They see a fracture on the pulpal floor. And now this patient has just had a bunch of work done. When if you would have just looked at the record from before, you would have known mm -hmm. that this tooth, if it does fail, should be an implant, right? That's happening all the yeah. time. And it's nobody's fault because you don't have to access the information or getting access to the information would be such a colossal pain in the butt that it would be, it makes it mm -hmm. essentially impossible. Mm -hmm. So I hear your point that people might be offended, but that's just the reality. I mean, if people have view it otherwise, I'd be shocked. All I'm trying to do is uncover the problem so we can mm -hmm. solve it. Right. That's really my point. It's well, not, I'm, I'm not trying to fear monger. I'm trying to raise an alarm yeah. that, Hey, this is a problem that's fixable. Let's get to work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the whole, nobody told me that 
concept where like, I don't want someone to get a letter from the government saying that you have a fine for not being able to provide this record. Like, I'm so glad that you brought that up because that is going to come up and it's going to scare people. It's really going to scare people. So I just want them to hear about it ahead of time. And sometimes these things are just uncomfortable to hear where, I mean, honestly, there's so much to do in a private practice. I mean, even in a DSO setting, but in a private practice setting, you have so many things you're responsible for. And sometimes when they hear, you know, something like this, a conversation like this, they're like, oh, okay, one more thing I got to look out for. Okay. Who can I assign that to? <laughs> right. Well, I, I, I'm a dentist, right? My job is yeah. you know, typically to tell people they have cavities and periodontal disease. Nobody wants to hear <laughs> that. Right. So this is just an extension of, I would say my previous day job of like diagnosing issues and trying to treat them. Right. This is an mm -hmm. industry advanced periodontal disease that we need to do some scaling and replanting to. Right. Yeah. Well, and you, you and I ran into each other at Dykema, like two ships passing in the night because it's such a busy meeting, right? But so, what are you seeing in that space? I mean, you're working with a couple DSOs, you said, or it's been really a good community for you for tooth apps and and some other things. What are you seeing in that industry that we can learn from our, you know, us small private practice people? What can we learn from there? I know that's I think a that's huge. A, I think that's a great, great question, and uh, I would tell you that as I've got on my career more and more frequently, I'm the only dentist in the room, even in the dental industry, right? When I go to DSO meetings like Dykema, which was a phenomenal meeting, uh, I just was at Dental Forum, which is another great DSO meeting uh, last week. I'm increasingly the, like one of the only dentists there. It's a bunch of business people, right? And I think that in the industry, it gets a negative connotation. But I've got to tell you, at Dykema, at ADSO, at Dental Forum, having gone to several of these meetings now, and I'm going to more and more of them, because obviously if you have 50 dental practices solving the problems of data, you know, it gets exponentially more challenging to solve. You can't really ignore the problems like you can in an individual practice. But my heart is warmed by how much people talk about the quality of care. You know, I think this idea that DSOs don't care about the patient is a myth. I've been to laboratories. I've seen the preparations that, you know, lots of dentists do. And I got to tell you, I think some quality control is not a bad thing, right? When it comes to some of that, I'm not saying that there, you know, when yeah. we talk about private equity money coming in at some massive volumes, there's certainly some externalities and, and some challenges that macro that are problematic and they can't deny that. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but when I talk to For people one-on-one, sure. -on -one, just like when I talk to dentists one-on-one, -on -one. the people in this industry, both on the DSO side, on the individual practice side, all care about the patients. However, however, it's like I'm in a different industry when I go to a DSO meeting. It's so much more talk about like almost reverence for a clinical dentistry, but no knowledge of it. And there's a lot of knowledge on the business side. And if you go to like yeah. going to the ADA meeting next week, SmileCon, right? There'll be tons of reverence for the business side, but no knowledge of it. And all of this knowledge on the clinical side, it's like, you kind of want to just take them smashing. It's just like, you know, the medical dental yeah. integration. I go to medical meetings. I've never seen another dentist at one. Right. And I, yeah, right. You know, right. When, when I go to SmileCon, there's not going to be any physicians there, but yet every dentist is talking about medical dental integration with having gone to a meeting and spoken to some physicians. Right. I mean, I have, but, right. but I don't see other dentists there. In fact, last time I went to an innovation yeah. and healthcare conference, I saw a classmate of mine 
he was in Vegas. He said, Hey, he's on the casino floor. He said, Hey, Brian. I said, Oh, great. You're here for the, the health conference. He said, No, I'm here partying with some friends. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's <laughs> when I see dentists in Vegas, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God bless Dennis in Vegas. That keeps that town going. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, you're right. When, when I was at Dykema, I was with a couple other manager friends of mine who were at a position where they're growing their practices. And we just really, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say the business knowledge was top tier. I would say nine out of 10. There were definitely some things that I was like, what? No, that's kind of crazy. But in my educated opinion, I, I thought it was kind of crazy. But for the most part, the business knowledge that I got there was way more interesting and of a totally different level than I would have gotten at a state association meeting. Not that they can't up their game, but I'm just not, I'm not seeing that. You know, I, it's a very different, you know, it's just a different model. It's a different business model. And whereas Dykema is like, here's all the things you need to do to make money and, and grow the, the company and all that kind of stuff. And same with the other, you know, ADSO and all of that. But it is different when you see the focus on business and that feeds my, my revenue soul. I mean, I was just so happy. I was just like, wow, this, I need to go to this like every year and twice, you know, twice a month, maybe even if they have it, I just can't get enough of business finally coming to the forefront. I mean, for years when I was, when I was a manager, like finding a business class was like one loan business class in a state association. And it was usually somebody I'd seen three times already. Uh, so, <laughs> so it's nice to see variety. Yeah, I, I agree that. I mean, look, I, I totally agree that it's not top tier business, right? In the dental industry, it's not like we have and that's a whole chapter in my new book. It's how dentists aren't bad at business. Everybody's bad at business. Like it's not, that's just Pretty the much. way the world is, right? Uh, I don't yeah. think there's, yeah. you know, I'm saying business. It's like, it's such a broad category that people don't, I think the average person, like even leadership and management, two totally separate skill sets. And I think people don't even in most industries, not just dentistry, don't understand the nuance between the two and how important those are to be separated. But that's, again, another whole talk show. But but all similarly, if I go to the SmileCon meeting, there'll probably be, I don't know, 10 lectures on bonding. And bonding hasn't changed in the last 40 years. And I would guess that 90% of the people in the audience haven't read the instructions of the bonding agent they're using, but they're sitting there listening to somebody talk about bonding, right? So mm -hmm. there's room for growth all over the place, right? But you're right. The focus yeah. on the DSO side tends to be how do we drive revenue? But oftentimes you're talking about how to drive revenue through salivary diagnostics integration, right? And, and innovative ways, I think, but, yeah, I but not necessarily but they're missing some of the the business of dentistry pieces, right? You know, and I used to be chief innovation officer at a large DSO. And what I saw is that they would do things like bring in a new toothbrush to sell. Well, anyone that's been in a high functioning dental practice knows that if you're pushing hygienists to sell a new toothbrush, right? Yeah. You're not talking about crowns. You're not talking about veneers. Yeah. You're not talking about $50,000 cases. You're talking about a $50 toothbrush, right? And, mm -hmm. and I see that kind of perspective in the DSO side getting missed mainly because they just don't thoroughly understand how treatment planning and clinical delivery of care functions, right? And yeah. so I think yeah. the more we would work together, clinical and business, everybody's going to win. I think what was really interesting to me was that they are trying to nurture 
the excitement of the clinician. And when that came across, not just in a couple webinars, but definitely at Dykema from the stage where they were saying, you know, your doctors have to be very excited about the treatment they're providing. And from a treatment coordinator point of view, I have to really be excited about what I'm presenting as well and even believe definitely believe in the treatment, right? So so what I heard, I forget which company it was, but they they basically said, we're going to make our dentists better implantologists. We're going to make our dentists better. And, you know, endodontically, we're going to create centers where they can go and get good at their craft. And that's going to be part of the incentive of being a part of this organization. And I couldn't help but think to, you know, tiny little offices that are like, well, I want to go learn that too, but I got to keep the lights on. I got to keep the bills getting paid. And way back in your career, you were probably the same thing. Like, do I go to this big CE that's going to cost a lot of money or do I need to make money to pay the bills and keep things going? I got to make sure production keeps going. So that's a struggle. But from a DSO or group practice point of view, you can you can do that. You can educate your your doctors on things that'll make them more excited because, and I don't know if this happened to you, but doctors get bored doing the same procedures over and over again, right? That's why they look for new new toys and, and new materials. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you bring up a good point, although I don't think that right now we're in a bunch of different inflection points. Like you mentioned, we talked about dentistry 3.0. Another one where another sort of more negative inflection point is that DSOs are going out of business, right? They've over leveraged themselves. Capital's more expensive and they might not have more money than the average dental practice right now in a lot of cases, right? So mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. If you have a thousand offices or if you have one location, get your financial house in order. That's something I right. learned early in my career. I knew I wanted to have the latest CAD cam. I wanted to have the CT, be the first person to have a CT scan. So getting your financial house in order allows you to invest in higher quality of care, right? There's no nobility in scraping by providing a lower quality of care. And that's, that's not a tenant for individual practice or DSO. It's for everybody. And I think it's understated. Like we have to clearly underline, highlight that and put an exclamation point on it because dental practices that are ignoring their bottom line are going to fall below a standard of care at some point, period. So if you need help, get the help. Right. Uh, and, and I, fortunately, after my second year in practice, never really thought about it because we were just, the business was healthy. I did think long-term, huh, do I want to practice alone and be responsible every time I'm on call? I started, you know, so I had multiple practices when I eventually sold them and, uh, and was chief innovation officer of DSO, mainly because I just, I, I, I do have an inclination for the business side of things, right? And I enjoy it. But if you don't, yeah hire somebody like you can, you know, to do it. Cause I think we're also in an inflection point too, where, you know, I've been as somebody who worked at a leadership level with one of the largest DSOs, I've been shocked at how fast they're growing. Right. I mean, it is happening so fast and there's always going to be a place for individual dentists for smaller groups. Right. But not ones that bury their head in the sand and just hope that it works out, right? You have opportunities that a larger group don't have. So I think you want to uncover and exploit those opportunities so that you have, you know, if you're just this, if you're just a traditional dental practice or you're like, you're not looking to differentiate in any way and you're a solo practitioner and you're not really leveling up your business in some way, that's going to be a challenge in the future, I think. So the DSOs that are losing money and and going out of business, are they really, are they ripe for 
acquisition or is it, do you see that there's going to be even more consolidation in that space or do you see more, more money coming into the space to continue fueling the growth? What do you see? I see both. Uh, there's definitely going to be consolidation, right? Cause they're, mm-hmm. I mean, there's not that many large groups right now. And if we think about it from like a business outside of dentistry, these businesses aren't that big, frankly. I mean, in dentistry, they are, so they seem big, but if you go outside of dentistry and you look at truly large companies, they seem relatively small, except for maybe a, a handful, right? And everybody's recognizing there's been so much private equity money that's come into dentistry, and I think that's going to continue for a while. So what that means is that if you purchase a few practices, right, and then you can buy by somebody who has you know, 20 practices or, or more, right? You'll probably get a much higher multiple. That's kind of how I, when I sold my practices. So that consolidation is going to continue. I think that there's not, you know, if you look outside of dentistry, there's just not a lot of good places to put capital to work. And dentistry is a good business. And so it's probably going to continue coming in. However, not at the, not at the crazy speculative multiples, just like everybody else. Like if you look outside of dentistry and in dentistry, there's been this uh, thought that growth was more important than actually making profitability. And that's shifted. So now profitability Mm -hmm. is a much bigger deal. Having practices that are healthy actually matters now. Like people, (laughs) like having a practice that somebody wants to buy is going to, is going to be necessary for somebody to actually buy your practice when a couple of years ago, that wasn't really the case. So yeah, yeah, I don't think there'll be many DSOs that can go under though, because let's face it, if you have 50 practices, somebody that has a thousand practices will look at those and go, well, we can bring it on board them at a very, you know, it's just the price, right? It's the valuation mm-hmm. that's going to shift. Mm-hmm. Well, and I was told by somebody who is kind of looking at the, the dental market uh, from the outside is that the, the money he said was not really in purchasing the practices anymore. The money is in the services and the tech that are, that are servicing the practices. And I think, I mean, as you were saying, there's so much tech coming in. Do you see that as a true statement? Seems true to me. Oh yeah. The private equity money is not just on the dental practice side. It's in the tech side too, right? I sold the platform to a several billion dollar fund that was focused exactly on dental technologies, right? So what that means is that I just had a conversation with a large company in dentistry that's looking to create a software platform. And I said, just realize the game you're playing, right? You're competing against people that are putting $10 billion into this this idea, right? So unless you have a niche, which they had, by the way, that they weren't even going after, right? If you're looking to do like an online scheduling platform, you're going to be competing with a company that's invested, let's say $5 billion in developing a platform that has an online scheduling feature, right? So do you want to compete with them, (laughs) right? So you're going to throw billions of dollars at this, or is there a place where you can solve a different problem that nobody's looking at, right? Which in Mm -hmm. their case, I think was true. So that's a little bit more inside baseball than you asked for. But I think my point is that dental tech, I honestly, I don't know of a better sector than dental technology right now. When I look at, you know, maybe education, there's, you know, there's some big gaps to fill there. Uh, financial tech is another big one. But when it comes to like a great industry right now is dentistry because it's a, it's just, it's always been a great industry. I mean, I think it will continue to be a great industry, even with all the uh, people, 
you know, ringing the alarms of, and there's several alarms to ring, right? But it's just a great industry we're in. And, sure. and we've had these artificial bottlenecks on our innovation that I think we're, again, dentistry 3.0, we're removing these bottlenecks, which is going to have a floodgate of innovation that comes in that makes mm -hmm. our, the ability to like with all the things you mentioned, Teresa, like if you're bored in your practice, there's going to be tons of great things to get you on board. You know, if you, if you're doing mundane, laborious tasks that should be done by automated technology, that's coming your way very soon. Right. And there's so much yeah. BS that the clinician has to do today that will be <laughs> not their job very soon. Right. Oh, gosh. Uh, from your lips to God's ears, that would be amazing, <laughs> right? Just taking the documentation piece off the table would be amazing. And and just all the follow-up and everything. The workforce issues, another conversation, obviously, but the workforce issues are, you. we have to change. Something has to change. Even even the delivery model. I mean, I, I definitely am hearing of dentists who are foregoing hygiene, and which used to be the the feeder of the practice and they're just foregoing it. And they're like, you know what, there's plenty of people around. I'm just going to do dentistry and, you know, I'll send them to people or maybe I'll bring in one hygienist for, you know, two weekends and we'll just see, you know, patients for that. But it's, I hadn't heard these before COVID. I'm not saying COVID is the reason, but things have accelerated. I just hadn't heard this willingness to consider other options. And it's pretty exciting to see, but my biggest fear has always been that if it gets too wild west without the standards like you're talking about, then somebody's going to standardize us and it's going to be the government. We don't want that. So like the goal is to be one step ahead of the government, which shouldn't be hard, but you know, I'm always worried. So medical dental billing is my big thing. I think we're going to get thrown into that mess. And, and now this whole mess of regulations we never really had to deal with from a dental side now is going to be it's going to be a huge drain on our administrative resources. So I like that you're coming up with standards to avoid that on the, the interoperability side. I just wish, you know, there was a counterpart for you on the uh, medical dental and, and benefits side. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. Can you clone yourself? That'd be great. Can you well, I, I do feel like, I mean, I think a macro trend, <laughs> if, if we do to go, if we do go down this pathway that I think we all are on, which is like mm -hmm. more medical dental integration, I mean, let's face yeah. it, a whole other chapter in my book is the insurance disorder, right? Dental insurance <laughs> is a broken industry, right? It's just flat out sucks. It's way worse than people think, why not even care to admit, right? And so does it make sense to completely change that? Absolutely yes. There's so much mm -hmm. broken with the way the dental insurance uh, works today, and it will change Right. And you're right. It's probably going to be the government because there's a little DSO called the Department of Defense that will probably change this at some point in time. Right. Yeah. And, yep. and then dentistry is probably going to, ha there's going to be more of a medical insurance type. I believe that to be true. Like if I were to predict what's going to happen do. with, right, it's going to happen at some point in time. Yeah. Is that bad? I don't know. But what I do know is we got, I think something's got to change. I think dental insurance right now is the biggest scam. It's not like even a scam. Like even the people that have dental insurance are kind of raising their hands going, why is this the way the industry works? Right. And so, <laughs> so uh, I think, I think there has to be a etch a sketch wiping of that at some mm -hmm. point in time. Right. And I don't well, know. It's interesting. I, it, yeah. 
I love that you brought out the the DSO of the Department of Defense because I don't think a lot of people know about that. The Department of Defense is running their own, you know, dental operations thing. And if the government says, "Well, you're doing it fine, let's roll it out across the country," we're all, there's going to be just a collective ah, you know, through the industry. But I I definitely think we're going to see that integration. Maybe not the DOD, but just what we were talking about the integration. We're going to see it in my lifetime, but not in my career because I will be retired when that happens, Brian. It's I'm close enough now where I can say, you know what? I'm good. I've done a lot. I'm good. <laughs> Step back now. Let somebody else come up and be the new insurance guru. I don't need it that badly. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> well, I I mean, I do. I think, you know, when, when you're talking about the government doing something, it's basically a crapshoot of when, right? And that's kind of where I think that is. I think that it will happen. I think it probably will be the military that that forces that shift. And I think that that's what it's going to take. But I will that happen in the next three, five or 10 years? Who who know? I mean, that's who knows, right? right? Yeah. But I, yeah. frankly, I would push for it to happen sooner rather than later, just because I don't like the idea because I, I hopefully it won't. I think there's things we can put in place to make dentistry not become like medicine, right? Regardless mm-hmm. of how it's paid mm-hmm. for. However, if you care about patients at all, dental insurance is just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, well, it just doesn't make sense. I think the biggest, to me, the biggest issue that we're going to run into if we have any kind of medical dental integration or you know interoperability, honestly, is workforce. I think workforce is going to cripple us in the next little bit. Not just a shortage of dentists, but really just people to actually put their hands in people's mouths. Um, you know, we can outsource my part. I mean, as an administrator, I can sit home and do my job. I hate to say it, but I could. But we need hygienists. We need assistance. And that's really going to hurt soon. And I don't, I don't even think we've started the pain. Honestly, I think it's just an annoyance at this point. I don't think we've really felt it yet. Yeah. Well, you had mentioned when I was talking about automation, a, di- a different topic being the labor force. And I, I would argue that mm-hmm. those are the same thing. Like if we, if we do the automation well, we need less mm-hmm. people, right? Yeah. We see that going on on the lab side right now. They've got way less people than we do in, on the dental practice side. And, but think the work stream is being much more efficient, right? And we, mm-hmm. let's face it, pre COVID, we had a lot of fat in the labor force in dentistry. So we, we can, it is an addressable problem, right? And I'm seeing things like, different state associations looking to streamline the process of becoming a hygienist and an assistant. I think these are solvable problems, right? And I think we can, in large part, divert those problems completely by leveraging technology to do those mundane tasks that that Mm -hmm. our team members do what they do best, which is take care of people. Because that's why people go into dentistry, right? Nobody goes into dentistry to fill out paperwork and click a computer (laughs) button or whatever. I mean, like, let's get rid of all of that just BS workload, right? And make it so that our team members can do what they do best, which is take care of people. And then, you know, pay them well, remove some barriers to getting them accredited so that they can actually do the job and do things like remote remote care. I was talking to a a dental tech person who was telling me how horrible it was. Teledentistry was going to be used for hygienists to go out in the middle of remote areas, clean people's teeth, and then if there's a problem, use it to to get a dentist to take a look at their teeth and then send them there if there was a problem. How, because I was pulling hygiene out of the dental practice. And I said, that's exactly what has to happen, right? I mean, that's the kind of model that will solve the problem that we're talking about, right? 
Well, that's being patient centric. I mean, if the mm-hmm. patient needs that, the way they're thinking is is a protective mode, you know. But it, we to address those patients who can't get into our offices, why not? Boy, they must have thought you were a monster, huh? <laughs> well, no, actually, I, honestly, I don't think they thought of it that way. Because then after I said that, they're like, "Oh, yeah, you're right." It's just that that dentist actually has a single practice location, mm-hmm. and he was thinking about what's going to happen with my patients. Are they going to go get? They're not going to drive an hour and a half to come see me, right? And the answer is. Yeah, they shouldn't have to drive an hour and a half to come see you, right? I mean, and so once I explained it, he was like, yeah, you're kind of right. So, I mean, you know, it's just a different perspective, right? Just looking at it through the patient's eyes, right? Move the hygiene off-site, honestly. I mean, I've heard this from a couple different people. Move the hygiene off-site. Let them do the teledentistry. And when they need the work, they come in, they get the work done. And and they'll drive to the office to get the work done. So, you know, will we have hygiene centers in the future? I mean, honestly, why wouldn't Walmart or Costco? Costco's getting into healthcare now. Why wouldn't somebody like that set that up? I know Walmart tried to set up something. I think they still have some centers, but it didn't take off the way I kind of thought it would. I really... I really thought they were going to change things up, but I don't know what happened in that. I don't know if it was internal issues or just they realized the market wasn't ready for them yet. But at some point, you're going to have that. You're going to have cleaning centers. I mean, from a, and I know, Brian, this will resonate with you, but the whole dry bar thing, I'm Mm -hmm. just making a joke here. But for women that are listening, you know, just can you imagine that there's one place you go to just to get your hair blown out? Like, we would have thought, what what the heck is that? But how wildly successful was that? So would we have just hygiene centers? I don't. I don't see a problem with it, but I can see the the nervousness around the topic. Uh, there's one problem with it. It's the financial mm. model because hygiene is not a profit center in most dental practices, right? Yeah. And yeah. so if you're going to take and just do hygiene and make it a profitable business, right? And let's say if you're a hygienist and you're going to, all you're doing is hygiene in your business, the margins are extremely low, right? So that, that's going to make yeah. you hard. It's going to make it hard to compete. So, and that might not be true in a rural area because their costs are less and you can probably charge more because you're the only one doing cleanings. But if you're in a metro area and the dental practice next door is doing way more services, open longer, you know, can get the dental care, get your orthodontics and your endodontics and your oral surgery all in one spot and the hygiene is not profitable, how are you going to have a sustainable hygiene practice right next, like at the dry bar piece, right? You know, yeah. doing blowouts is the most profitable part of a salon, right? So you're just taking that <laughs> mode, right? So so it's like, it's like being an endodontist, right? You, you got the most right. profitable piece and that's all you do, right? right? Uh, but the flip side <laughs> is true with hygiene. So in theory, it makes sense, except the problem is that hygienists already make a lot and they have a good job working in a dental practice that probably isn't really profiting on, on what they do, where the actual profit comes in is when the dentist mm-hmm. is doing providing treatment themselves, right? So that's yeah, the one sort yeah. of snag in the theory, I think. Uh, are you telling me money is going to be an issue? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> going <laughs> back to getting your house, your financial house in order, right? That's, uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's such a pleasure always to talk with you. And so tell everybody how to find you and find your information. And I will have all of the links to this information in the show oh, notes, but in case people are driving and they can't pull over, what, how can they find you? Well, the easiest way to find me is uh, just my name, B-R-Y-N, so Brian with a Y, Laskin at uh, uh, .com. So just go to brianlaskin.com. Or if you want to check out the new book, Dental Disorder, just go to dentaldisorder.com. 
And you want to check out Tooth Apps too, because you've yeah, got, you've got a whole bunch I mean, of interoperability yes. stuff going on. And then and then your Upgrade Dental is all your education center too. We didn't even touch on that, but you've got a lot of education available there. And I believe a mastermind or two, right? Uh, some some private groups that you can access that brain of yours, right? Yeah. So yeah, we do. We okay. There's you know the three prongs to what I think is truly to make substantive change in, is innovation, which is Tooth Apps is the platform. Education, which you, like you mentioned, thanks Upgrade Dental, where we do education and then standardization. Dental Standards Institute is the, so if you go to brianlaskin.com, that's kind of the hub for everything. So you can see the key initiatives and yeah. kind of check out all the, my little goofy world that where we're trying to make uh, a, a better, a <laughs> better a future world. for dentistry, right? It's a fun world. So hopefully I'll run into you um, at SmileCon or any of these other meetings. You are always, I don't even think I have to tell you this, but I will anyways. You are always welcome back on the podcast at any time. So thank you. Uh, dear listeners, I want to, uh, absolutely. I want to thank all of you for sharing your time with us. We're all super busy. So thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in the episode. You can also find links for my book, events, and my online insurance course, Dental Insurance Design and Management. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.